Welcome to the Everything ECU Podcast. I am your host, Carla Ward, and I would love to tell you that in the early childhood field, there are no conflicts and everything is always running smoothly. But I really don't believe in lying. So today on the show, I have business owner and educator Kathy Turolinski joining me to talk about the six steps to conflict resolution in early childhood environments. Also, after you're done listening to today's podcast, make sure to head over to elfoundations.com slash conflict resolution to download a tag to take with you to work to support you during conflict resolutions. Welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you, Carla. Very excited and happy to be here. I am so excited that we're finally able to connect. Before we dive into talking about our topic today, can you share a little bit about who you are as an educator and about your business childcare solutions? Sure, I'd be happy to. Carla, I've been in this field for 40 years. And when I say 40, I just kind of cringe because I can't believe that number. (laughs) It just, I'm sitting there, when did that all happen? And um, (laughs) however, during that 40 years as being an early childhood educator, I've had to wear many, many hats. So I've had many roles throughout my career and I'll just kind of summarize some of them. First of all, I have a degree from Ryerson in early childhood education, and then I became a frontline worker. So I worked with infants, toddlers, preschoolers for about five years in a nonprofit center. And then from there, got into the whole family resource movement, um, family supports before early on was a thing. So we were the dinosaurs. We were the uh, grassroots communities of early childhood educators who delved into the whole area of family support. So I was involved in setting up drop-in programs in high-risk communities in the Toronto area, in Metro Toronto housing buildings. I would be setting up drop-in programs, doing parent education, doing parent support, working with community agencies in developing family support programs and doing outreach and working with Children's Aid and all of the external resources. What an experience, but I needed that front line working directly with those children, infants, right up to preschool to have that um, experiential knowledge, as well as academic knowledge related to development. So when you're working with parents, you got to know what they're talking about. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I mean, you know, you got, and that's, that's where I learned a lot of that. From there, I worked at Georgetown College. So then I got into working at the different colleges, George Brown, Sheridan, Humber, if you're in the Toronto area, <laughs> or GTA, Seneca. So I worked um, part-time faculty at George Brown and then continuing ed programs in Seneca and part-time at Sheridan throughout my career at different points. And then from there, I, well, because Harris got in and he cut all our sessional instructors in the colleges. <laughs> Bye-bye. So then I kind of um, did a pivot and I've done a lot of pivots in my career based on external forces that, you know, you have no control over. So, and so I set up my own private home daycare because my child was like three at the time. And so I renovated my basement into a, you know, a childcare environment. And I brought all of the theories and the research and put it together. And for 12 years, I really had the experiential piece of what does that look like? 
when we're talking about Piaget's theory of cognitive development, sensory mode, what does that look like? Brain research, what does that look like? The language, the outcomes, all of that. That was really, really, really instrumental to where my business is, is at this moment. So from there, then I worked with military population. So I worked at Toronto Military Family Resource Centre, which was a whole other education in itself. So I started off as a coordinator, supervisor, program manager, interim ED. <laughs> we wear many hats in so our So I field, wore many we? hats within an eight-year span. <laughs> And uh, from that was a great, amazing learning opportunity because then I really, I developed family support programs for military families. And then I also educated. I went back to George Brown College and did a lot of presentations. And because a lot of our military population, you don't realize I get posted in from all over the world and they and their children go to our schools and our childcare centers. And unless you understand the unique stresses that this population has on then you're going to get behaviors you're not going to understand. Of and course. so that was, that was a, a, a huge piece for me and a lot about mental health. So I, I had a lot of my mental health education there, not only with young children and doing, you know, mental health with four to seven-year-olds and three to five handled with care, but also with adults and parents. So from there, I am loving this. I'm just like, tell me everything. I just love the experience because I think it speaks to who we are as educators. I don't know any ECE that's been on one track for their whole career because we're just not, we just don't seem to be designed that way. So I love this. That's what propels me. You have to go outside your comfort zone. Very much so. You can't just be locked in all. That's all I know. Working with this age group. No. And we have no idea. I know you have no idea how you can unlock the knowledge that you have. And you don't even realize the knowledge you have until you go out of your comfort zone and you, you go into these different social contexts and you go, Oh my gosh, you know, I really can contribute here. I have a lot of value, right? Yes. Yes. And that's what kept me in the field for 40 years. (laughs) And I can speak. I'm sure other people would agree. I'm so grateful that you have stayed in the field because I know right now childcare is in crisis. People are leaving the field at such a rate. And I do hope that so many of them find their way back because that those different hat wearing opportunities are there. Yep. Yeah. Um, they can be stressful because you get thrown into those positions. I mean, every position I was had or I said, Oh, you know what? Do you want to do this position? Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) Let's try it. And we're learners. You know, exactly. You just kind of, okay, so here we go. <laughs> that is so true. Oh my gosh. Well, tell me more. So from the military, then I started my own business, Childcare Solutions. And really it's a platform to give back to our early childhood community because I felt I have gone through so much in terms of experience and knowledge and just different populations I've worked with special. Oh, I was on a special needs committee, board of directors. Like, I mean, there's still other stuff I have done, but it was a way for me to, and and I understand the struggles right now with retaining early child educators. And of course the whole compensation piece. I mean, I've never been paid for what I was worth for 40 years. I was fighting the same fight where we're fighting now. Exactly. I was doing newsletters. I was protesting. I was in the early 80s. And it just boggles my mind 
that we're in the same spot 40 years later. Tell me about it. I'm grateful that we now have a college that did not exist when you started as an EC. It didn't exist when I started as an EC. So it's a step in the right direction. We are officially considered professionals, but we are certainly not Not making professional. (laughs) Like, great. Love the title would love the paycheck more. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yes. So that's where passion has to carry you through because if you don't have the passion, You know, if you're in it for the money and you think it's going to change, hopefully maybe with this $10 a day one, you know, you can't predicate a career on that. No, you can't quote unquote bank on it, right? No. In terms of this business that I set up. So this was a whole other outside the box thing that I've done. I mean, I've never, ever had a business other than my private home daycare business, but that was like small potatoes, (laughs) but I, I incorporated So I'm an incorporation (laughs) and I'm going, what does that even mean? Let's find out. Thank you, (laughs) Google. What do I need to do? (laughs) Google is your best friend. And then I had my neighbor who started up his own business. So he coached me and he connected me and with, you know, lawyers and, you know, took me through some of the steps and I just surrounded myself with people who have done it. And so I said, okay, here we go. You know, and I was like, I was closer to 60 when I started my business. That is awesome. So so when you think about she not, she should be retiring. And I'm going, I I don't think I can. (laughs) And with this field, there's so much work to do. And if you're passionate about it, you want to share that passion. Exactly. Exactly. So I started off as a supply staffing division. So providing supply staff to childcare centers, because I, as an employer, a supervisor, were really, you know, disenfranchised with the type of supply we were getting from the few agencies that at that time, there weren't a lot when I was a supervisor that were providing supply. So I, you know, Miss Idealiston <laughs> decided to, well, you know what? If I'm going to do a supply staff division, I'm going to educate them. I'm going to provide professional learning. I'm going to support them because a lot, I, a lot of supply staff come in and they have no idea what to do. What, what is their role? What questions should they ask? Like there's a million things that if a supply staff who's just coming out of the college system, who's never worked, so to speak, in a workplace mm-hmm. environment, you're, it's like throwing them to the wolves. It's so true. And it's not setting anybody up for success. And you want to know as an EC that if you have a day off, you've got somebody that's competent and capable coming into your program so that to allow the children to continue to practice being competent and capable. Exactly. And you want to reduce stress. That's my whole mantra is to reduce stress in this field because it's filled with stress. Yes. So anyways, the pandemic kind of kiboshed that division. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) So I had to pivot. And this is what we do. But I also, when I was doing supply uh, um, staffing, I was also doing consulting and professional development. And what I discovered was that this was my wheelhouse. This is my, my real passion is sharing my knowledge, sharing research, helping educators reduce stress. And the only way you can do that is through knowledge. Yes. The more knowledge and understanding you have of behavior, It will put you in a mindset, a whole different mindset. It will put you in a place where you will not have the same stress. You feel confident and you'll know exactly how to help and support this child. And if you don't, 
you know how to seek solutions and where to go. Oh my gosh. I can so relate to that statement. Like that's how I felt when I discovered play, true, authentic play. Mm -hmm. That took my stress level from a 15 out of 10 to a two out of 10. It was life changing. Yes. And that's as an educator going through this, the more knowledge that I gained, I would just, you know, go crazy in terms of finding articles and research and back. We didn't have the internet. I had to go to the library. <laughs> so I said, I spent weekends at Oise because <laughs> they had research journals and yes. I'm all about, you got to go to the research as your background your, for, for intention in terms of why you're doing what you're doing. That intention is so key. hundred percent. Yeah. And not just pick it up while everybody else is doing that. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> and the thing is when you do it because everybody else is doing it, it's short-lived. Yeah. And it's not even, it's not even best practice half the time. So they don't know if you don't know what is best practice based on research, then how, how do you know? So true. And so I'm trying to combat that. (laughs) So during the pandemic, so I closed my supply staffing because it just sucked the life out of me. So now I'm focusing solely on virtual training workshops. This whole going to virtual actually was a blessing because I can reach so many more educators. So I have educators from Alberta, from Edmonton, from Sudbury, like Northern Ontario, from First Nations Reserve. Like I'm, I'm reaching different populations of um, educators and it's so exciting. That is so awesome. That is so incredible. <laughs> Being able to use the internet as a tool to educate other people is just yeah. incredible. Yes. And I'm sure that you have come across a lot of the stressors that mm-hmm. affect the ECEs and affect them from doing their jobs effectively. Yes. What would you say are some of the biggest stressors? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Other than our shoddy paychecks. As I was saying, a, a kind of a segue into that lack of knowledge piece. Totally. Because when you don't, if you're not aware of basic regulations, policies, then that is a stressor because then you're putting yourself at risk, which can really create a lot more stress on you. And if you don't know what questions to ask, and if you don't have that support and guidance or someone to go to, or you feel you're afraid to ask, because maybe you'll look stupid and maybe, you know, you know, I'm supposed to know this. Why don't I know this? And, you know, you second guess yourself that in itself is a huge stress. And And I can totally relate to, I mean, I was 19 when I graduated from college with an ECE diploma. Yeah. I was definitely too chicken to ask some questions that I probably should have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're young and you think, yeah, I'm supposed to know this. Yeah, of course. I was 19. I was an adult. Hello. That's right. (laughs) I knew everything. Oh my gosh. Oh, to be 19 again. Never. (laughs) I still, I, I, yeah, I still don't know a lot. (laughs) And that's what makes life so fun is you don't know what you don't know, which is why we keep learning. Yes, exactly. And so, and I, and I think that and then also understanding children's behavior and understanding classroom management because when you have and i'm thinking toddlers if you have 15 toddlers in one room for any length of time that i think is like up here in the stress level because you're gonna have toddlers who cannot they don't have self-regulation 
they don't have language to express. And the only way they can express their stress and their frustration is through aggressive behaviors, biting, pushing, kicking, <laughs> hitting, it's, it's their grabbing. Form of communication, right? That is the, that's the only thing in their wheelhouse at this part of their development. So if you don't know how to manage a large group of toddlers by separating them as much as possible and having small groups and rotating and all of that, that just for that simple act of changing your schedule and changing that will reduce your stress like by 50%. What a great strategy. Yeah. And I don't understand, like I worked with toddlers. <laughs> and toddlers I, scare me. The, <laughs> They're hilarious. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. That's where I learned to sing a lot and to laugh a lot, because if you didn't, you'd be stressed. So that was yes. one of the way I dealt with my stress was there like, start singing, <laughs> blowing bubbles. <laughs> there yes, we yes. go. But, um, but we would separate as much as possible. Have one group over here, one group inside, one group outside. And the only time they were together was at lunch and sleep. And it makes sense. We know that lower ratios are better for everybody. Yeah. And if it's a ratio of one to five and you've got three teachers and 15 toddlers, why yeah. not take advantage of it? Exactly. And what a great way on top of that to build that relationship with your students. Yes, exactly. So I think that's one big area. And then the other area that I found is transitioning for children into, especially infants and toddlers and preschoolers. So if you're transitioning like three or four toddlers in a week, that is a recipe for ridiculous stress. When they're stressed, you're going to have grabbing toys and hitting, and you're going to have those kind of behaviors that will result in conflict because conflict is basically when you do something that is impacting another person negatively. Absolutely. Whether it be words, whether it be physical, whether it be, you know, ignoring, excluding. It's true because somebody's trying to control a situation to make themselves feel safe. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's that whole feeling of safety. Exactly. And that is the basic need of yes. human behavior. Like we all deserve and need to feel safe. Yeah. So what do we do? Help us, <laughs> help us, please. What are some steps that we can take to resolve conflicts that are not taking it out on other people, supporting our students in a negative way. We want to always be positive. So I've done workshops all around this. Like this is a huge area, but I'm going to kind of really dumb it down, not dumb it nope. down, but just kind of really look at the, the big piece that I learned that worked really well is, um, and with children and you use whatever you do with children, you do with adults. Absolutely. Because it's the same premise. You want to teach them those lifelong skills that they're going to continue build on and to use. So I don't know if you're familiar with the six steps of conflict resolution. I know them, but basic, basic. So please yes. share away. These six steps, you, you would be amazed at how powerful they can be in reducing conflict. Okay. Huge in the classroom. This was my, when I mastered these steps, my stress level went down like to absolutely very minimal. Amazing. Tell us your magic. This is based on Piaget's theory of cognitive development, and it's very much prominent in high school curriculum for problem-solving skills. So we want to teach children problem-solving skills. So when you're talking about conflict, think of emotion drives behavior. Behind every conflict is an emotion, and that's what you have to address first. So the first step is first approach calmly. 
So when you see two children, and, and let me just use an example, two children, preschool age, fighting over a toy. Most common conflict that I'm sure everyone does and deals with like a hundred times a day. <laughs> so approach calmly. So you think, oh yeah, I'll be calm. But no, no, no. When we think about calmly, you have to be aware of your nervous state. You have to be so aware of what state you're in. Are you stressed? Are you, this is like the 10th time. Why don't they listen to me? If you're like clenching your fist and you're like, you're not a calm state. You're in a dysregulated state. And a dysregulated adult cannot help two children who they themselves are in a dysregulated state. It's like pouring oil on a fire. You're just going to keep it blowing up. Oh, truth. So you need to do something really simple. And this is part of brain research. You take five deep breaths, like really deep breaths through the diaphragm because you need oxygen into the amygdala, your emotion center part of the brain to be able to connect with your thinking part of the brain. So you go, I used to do a lot of deep breathing as as an educator. (laughs) Yes, I didn't know it was part of the conflict resolutions, but I definitely did a lot of deep breathing. Big part of conflict resolution. (laughs) In fact, I, I taught preschool children the STAR method. Stop, take take a deep breath and relax. <laughs> There's a whole curriculum around it. So you, you breathe. So you're calm and then you approach and you say, Oh, if there, then you address any emotion related to that conflict. So if the children are screaming or yelling or they're grabbing and they're fighting over the toy, you first of all need to say, Oh, I see two really angry children right now. So address the emotion that you are witnessing. Okay. And then you say, okay, I need to take this toy. We need to calm our brain so we can solve this problem. So this is where you do a lot of other stuff within your curriculum to teach them how to deep breathe. This is when I did the STAR method where they had to blow up their balloons, basically, because children need multisensory action, especially preschool. Yes. School age would be a different method. So if it's not as intense, then you can just say, okay, let's... Copper balloons calm our brain. So you're teaching children's tools to to get to a calm state, right? Instead of saying you need to calm down, what does that even mean? Raise (laughs) your hand if that's triggering for you. (laughs) Right? And you hear it a lot. You need to stop crying. You need to calm down. Like, no. I need help. (laughs) Yeah, they need help here. And so if you're if you're regulated yourself and you're using a quiet tone, you're helping to reduce that emotion in them. So that's part of that learning. So once they're in a calm state, then you state the problem. Okay, so I see we have a problem here. You want that toy and you want that toy. That's called a problem. Yeah. How are you two gonna fix it? Instead of what I see and hear from a lot of educators in dealing with the same situation, and they're all the same answers, amazingly, is either you guys need to share or they'll just take the toy away and find something else to do. And then they just avoid the whole learning about conflict altogether. Or they say, you guys need to take turns. Okay. Or who had it first? <laughs> that was the one I thought you were going to say. And I, I'm laughing yeah, because I should. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. The first thing out of their mouth is who had it first. <laughs> and I'm going, do you want another conflict on top of this? Because now they're going to argue who had it first. And if you didn't see it, like, why, why go there? Don't go there. <laughs> I love this step. Um, it's 
something I used in my kindergarten class all the time because my students were very verbal and very vocal. And we really do not give children enough credit. Sometimes they are phenomenal problem solvers. And usually it's a better solution than you would have come up with as the educator anyways. Exactly. So when I say, okay, so how are you two going to fix that? Just that simple language is now giving that problem to them, not you. They need to learn how to think for themselves. They need to be accountable for their problems. And they also need to be accountable to coming up with solutions to fix the problem. And if they can't come up with the solution, so often I find with children who have never been asked to think, they're always been told what to do all the time, do this, do that, go here, go there, let the orders, then why would they have to even think? Because the adults are thinking for them. Oh, so true. So if they don't have any ideas, then you give them three choices, which is the fourth step. And you, this is now giving them examples of potential solutions. So would it work if so-and-so has a turn when I clap my hands, it's your turn. Or is there a way you both can play with it together? So that's talking about sharing. Or is there another toy you'd like to play with until so-and-so is finished? So you give them three choices. The two children come up with the solution they both agree on. That's the resolution, the compromise. I love it. So when they both agree on a solution, then you then help facilitate it. And it's really interesting when you first start this and children aren't familiar with this process. Often I found when I would give them those, the first solution, they'd always go by the first solution. And it was, you know, when I clap my hands, it'd be a turn. And so I turn my back for a few minutes and like, and within two seconds, the child who was playing with the toy, who wanted, you know, was all upset because the other child was grabbing it said, Oh, here you play with it. Now I never had to clap my hands ever. Isn't that (laughs) funny? Oh my goodness. So yeah, very powerful, very Very powerful. I'm just going to give you one more example of how powerful this is. So this is, this is a situation where a child spills milk at lunch. Happens a lot. What do most educators do? I don't know. For me, I'd give the child a paper towel and have them clean, clean it, it up. up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? So no, use the six steps. Use the six steps because it is a conflict. It's a, it's a problem, right? So, oh, I see you spilt milk on the floor. That's a problem. How are you going to fix that? See what the child does. So I did this with a three-year-old and it was amazing. So she, she looked at it and give them time to think. Children can't process information like we do. It takes some time to think. We're always rush, 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 rush. So okay? true. This is, will be an example of a huge teachable moment. Better than any circle or activity you want to do. So what she did is she went over and got the broom and she started to sweep the milk. And I let her. Of course. Okay. I didn't grab the broom. No, no, no. You don't use that. Use this, right? Restrain yourself. Just watch. Do your breathing. (laughs) Breathe. (laughs) And all I did made a simple observation. I said, oh, so I see the milk spreading when you use the broom. Is the broom making the milk go away? And she looked and go, no, more milk. And going, hmm, what else do you think you could use? And so she was looking around and I, at that point, I knew she was kind of lost. So I said, okay, here are some three choices. Paper towel, a sponge and a, red, and a cloth. Which one do you think will work for you? So she picked the paper towel and we talked about the paper towel, how it feels. It's soft, it's dry. Let's see what happens when we put it on top of the milk. So she put it on top of the milk and I said, oh, where did the milk go? And it was funny. She was looking all over. 
bless her. Bless. And I'm going, feel the paper towel. How does it feel? And she goes, it's wet. Yes. The milk, I mean, the paper towel sucked up the milk. That's called absorption. And she called, she said, absorption. Like she was like <laughs> really excited about this new big word, absorption. I said, yes. So I use that as a very much a teachable moment to set up a science thing in the afternoon where we had materials that absorb liquid and materials that don't absorb liquid. And then we talked about the difference between solids and liquids because she used the room because that's what she sees educators using to clean up the floor. Yes. With food scraps. So we talked about how the broom worked for with food because they're a solid. And then we talked about solids, what they're made up of, molecules. Like I got into all of this very basic and we became molecules, right? Bumping for, for different gases or whatever. So this became, this is where this one incident of spilling milk turned into an, a major teachable moment. And better than any circle time activity. She was like, and all the children were watching this at this time and they were learning. So her mom came back the next day. This was hilarious. And she said, all she talked about was absorption. <laughs> and I'm going, oh yes, your daughter spilt milk at lunch yesterday. It was a great teachable moment. And it's just such a positive, positive lesson. There was no shaming. The child learned something. Mm -hmm. The whole thing, I just love it. I know, right? And that's using the six steps. And so obvious. Right? <laughs> and then it's kind of like, oh, wow, why, yes. Why do I not see that? So I do consulting. And I used to go and observe my supply staff in centers because I would um, see where they're at and give them things to do. But, and, and I, I said, nobody, nobody does that. I've never done it from one to six. Like I've done little bits of it. I mean, it's so simple from one and you go through the steps. So can you take us through one through six, one more time, just so uh -huh. we get it nice and solid so that everybody has yep. it in their head. So the first step is you approach calmly. Make sure you're regulated. Second one, address emotions connected to the conflict. I see you are, use I see statements for emotions. And then if they're really powerful emotions, separate and get them to release those emotions in a healthy way. If you're really angry, you need to hit, hit that pillow as hard as you can. Show me how you're angry. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to hit children or anybody. Once you've got them in a calm state, then you can start the problem solving piece. So state the problem. I see you want that toy. You want the toy. Oh, I see spilt milk on the floor. Or if you dump toys, I see toys all over the floor that you dumped. That's a problem. Children will step on them. They'll get broken. How are you going to fix that? And that's the fourth step. Get them to think. Do not rush with an answer or a solution. How are you going to fix that problem? See what they come up with. Fifth, if they don't, under, they don't come up with anything, give them three choices to choose a solution. Sixth, you then follow through with whatever choice they made to make sure it happened. Incredible. Hmm. And so simple. Yep. I love it. And I can absolutely understand why that would release stress as an educator. Yeah. Right. Because after a while they do start doing it themselves. Yes. And I, I, I can attest to that because I had, I did this with two and a half to five-year-olds by the end of the year. I, I rarely had to intervene. They were dealing with their own conflict because you've given them the tools. I love that. Now, if listeners want to dive in deeper, how can they connect with you or find you so that they can 
dive in deeper to conflicts or learn more from you? Sure. You can go on my website, www.childcaresolutions.ca. And there I have virtual training platform and I have workshops, monthly workshops. I can also do custom workshops for centers, for their staff. If there's a topic there that they don't see and would like to learn more about for their staff, I can do that as well. And lots of resources. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so grateful to have met you and we will connect soon. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Carla.